for the stupid useless Joshua, stop being childish. What's wrong with being childish? I like being childish. Thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And today, we will be watching The Terror of the Autons. Terror of the Autons was written by Robert Holmes, directed by Barry Letts, and also produced by Barry Letts. Let's see how that works out. And it aired... January 2nd, 1971 to January 23rd, 1971. So it seems based on that, that they finally figured out how the fuck actual TV seasons work. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, the last episode of Inferno was June 20th, 1970. And now we're in January of 71. It's almost like you should take time to write the episodes, so you're not writing them week by week. That's ridiculous, Caleb. How how insane. And you're definitely not having to completely readjust key aspects of your script, like what characters are in it at the last possible second. Ridiculous. Uh, do you recognize the name uh, Robert Holmes by any chance? I do. Do I know why I recognize it? <laughs> Debatable. He has written three episodes so far, and he will be continuing on to write a whole bunch more. Um, he wrote The Crotons, The Space Pirates, and Spearhead from Space. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mixed bag. <laughs> Definitely a mixed bag. One that had a good idea, but a shitty enemy. Uh, one of the worst episodes of the show so far. Uh, and... Well, this, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah a pretty all right episode. Yeah. He's also the one who invented uh, the Autons and Nesting Consciousness. On that note, Caleb, given everything you know about uh, Doctor Who, and given the title of this episode, Terror of the Autons, what do you think this episode's going to be about? Have you seen the movie I, Robot? <laughs> is that the... Uh, the piece of pop culture that you want to uh, pull the story from this week? I sure do. Okay. And I'm not going to say it inspired it, but I'm going to say it's basically the plot. Uh, the doctor goes to, well, no, he's not going to go anywhere. A uh, company is going to invent a humanoid robot that's like, wow, look at that. It can help you do stuff. And it's connected to this super intelligent thing that will tell it what to do. That cannot possibly go wrong in any way, shape, or form. And then the the super smart AI thing is like, what if I just enslaved humanity? It's worth noting that iRobot came out in 1950. The the book iRobot is very different from the movie, though. I'm talking about the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And so the robots are the Autons? Yes, the robots are the Autons. Then the AI is the AI. (laughs) Now, last episode, I did leave you with the introduction of a 
new of another one of the doctor's most iconic villains mm-hmm. do you have any guess as to who that might be the autons we've already met the autons before we have wait who are the autons yeah the the plastic guys from spearhead oh that's right that's right okay so yeah fuck i'm an idiot <laughs> <laughs> Does the autons, and they're like, you know what the big problem with those plastic things were? They weren't connected to a big AI. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to guess that, um, yeah, the enemy is some sort of like supercomputer intelligence. Okay. Solid guess. Lord knows he's faced plenty of those. (laughs) That's not uncommon. He's going to see that and be like, fuck, here we go again. (sighs) Fucking again. All right, let me go unplug it real quick. I am excited because the villain that gets introduced in this story is my favorite Doctor Who villain. So I am very much looking forward to it. Interesting. Yes. So I suppose on that note, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was three fucking weeks for us. Uh, Not so long. Well, see, we were really preoccupied because we got trapped in a jail and then we set that jail on fire. uh, And then we met Bob and then Bob had to go back and rescue his panda that he left back in the fire. But then he came back on board with the podcast. So... Welcome, Bob. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I I was kind of preoccupied because we're in Technicolor now. It's a little different than the last time I was here. The episodes took longer to load on BritBox because it had color. Yeah, <laughs> it it just that extra layer just adds so much on. It's it's a problem. So I know that uh, our viewers are our rabid fan base. Definitely knows you from uh, when you guessed it on Tomb of the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. You obviously don't have to go into your history with Doctor Who, but if you get, want to give like a quick little back of the book synopsis of who you are, Bob. Yeah, um, just I, I have, it's been a minute since I re-listened to Tomb of the Cybermen, so uh, <laughs> I don't want to quote exactly what I said last time. But Nick and I went to college together, and I have seen basically all. Actually, no, not basically all of New Who, and. Not really any previous classic stuff except for Tomb of the Cybermen. So uh, this was journey number two into space and time. Space and time being uh, 70s England. And you also have a super fancy podcast. Yes, uh, I I have a podcast with Seth who guested on uh, that Tomb of the Cybermen one uh, where we recap Once Upon a Time, which uh, Caleb, let me just tell you, has not gotten any less ridiculous i didn't i didn't think it would <laughs> so i had an inkling suspicion that it would just get worse uh there we actually did just put out the episode of the worst rated episode of once upon a time from the first season and <laughs> uh even we couldn't make excuses for it it's oh, just beautiful. bad it's beautiful. bad yeah and for for the record the only reason that it's just you and not you and seth again is because I am but a humble mortal, and editing four different audio tracks at the same time made me wonder what a bullet tasted like. So, 
we're narrowing it down just a little bit today. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. So, so I'm just assuming you're you're not getting paid for this, right? <laughs> it's not not worth your time to uh, to tear your hair out. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> not until you join the quick trip through space and time patreon <laughs> which we definitely don't actually we, have don't look it up <laughs> which we have definitely set up go to www.givecalemoney.com <laughs> i mean patreon <laughs> uh but uh gentlemen before we really get into it general thoughts what do you think of terror of the autons that is what this episode is called right I did just pull that. Yes. Out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my Google Doc is named that. There was silence after I asked that, and I was like, "Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Did I say the wrong episode?" <laughs> no, uh, I genuinely thought it was pretty good. I mean, obviously, I think there's some. I mean, well, not I. I know there's some stuff that didn't age great. There's a a, a thing that reminded me of Tomb of the Cybermen in a classic <laughs> racism way that. I'm for sure going to bring up when we get to that episode, but it was like, okay, cool. We're still doing this. That's fun. That's great. I remember I was watching it and Brittany was in the room. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like this has happened maybe three times in the entire show and twice is when Bob is on. (laughs) So you're just deciding to bring me on in the super racist episode. It's not on purpose. (laughs) I see how it is. Yeah, when that part when, I, when that part came out, I was like, "Oh, Bob's got some shit to say about this." <laughs> it was seriously like, re- like it really again. Like I, I was just like, "Okay, cool. Here we are. This is you're not seeing us at our best. I promise." <laughs> and the thing, and I will get more into it later. Yeah. But it was like I could not believe it's like, and he and this time they put the black man in animal skins. Yeah, why not? Amazing. But uh, for me, again, there hasn't really been like a bad third doctor episode so far at this current moment in time for what it's worth terror of the auton is is at the top of my ranking yeah i think it would probably be my favorite too there's i really like this episode there are things i really don't like and there are people who are not present that should be but <laughs> couldn't possibly imagine what you're talking about caleb <laughs> i think that might be a fun little segue but uh you know on that note why don't we go ahead and uh dive in yeah, let me get to it. Let me get to these uh, bang-up descriptions. All right. The Terror of the Autons, Episode 1. The episode opens on a circus, and a familiar time-traveling sound fills the air as a strange truck appears out of nowhere. A man named Luigi confronts the man who steps out of the truck, but the man appears to brainwash him and enlists him for some unknown end. Cut to the doctor, and apparently Liz went back to Cambridge? What the fuck? Anyway, there's this new girl named Joe, and she's a discount Liz in the strongest sense of the word. The doctor isn't impressed by her either, but Brigadier Leatherstrips convinces the doctor to keep her in his employ. Cut back to the strange man and his brainwashed companion, and they break into a space radio telescope station. The man uses the station to channel power from the larger nesting consciousness into this little box. The doctor and unit are summoned to the station after the attack, but the doctor is stopped by a time lord that warns him the master is involved in this plot. At a nearby plastics facility, the Master has taken on the role of Colonel Masters, which is very subtle, and coerces the young owner, Rex Farrell, into manufacturing some strange new products. And wouldn't you know it, those strange products are the Autons. The Brigadier and Doctor quickly deduce what is happening and start investigating nearby plastics factories. Joe heads to Farrell Auto Plastics and is hypnotized by the Master. She brings a strange box back to Unit, and the Doctor realizes it is a bomb, 
but the brainwashed Joe tries to force it open. So I realized that I totally skipped over the uh, post-view notes that I usually say near the beginning of the episode, so I'll go ahead and say them now. This is the first appearance of The Master, played by Roger Delgado. This is the first appearance of Richard Franklin as Captain Mike Yates. This is also the first appearance of Katie Manning as Joe Grant. And uh, I guess I'll go ahead and do a retroactive. Uh, last episode was the last appearance of Caroline, Caroline John as Liz Shaw. Now, Caleb, <laughs> what exactly was your reaction when it was somehow less of an exit than Dodo? <laughs> Pure, unmitigated rage. I can't tell you what it was, because I don't remember, because my I just went black. <laughs> just woke up, and it was red all over your hands for some reason. <laughs> so I'm guessing uh, we liked Liz, is that... Uh... We did like Liz. I did like Liz, but even on principle, what the actual fuck? Yeah, so... <laughs> just the start of a new season. Oh, by the way, they're gone. <laughs> There was a piece of trivia a couple episodes ago that I kind of let slip. The episode, the filming of last season happened, and then, you know, they were going to be going into the next season. But, like, they are more as the TV shows are filmed now, where it's like, there's actually, like, breaks between the seasons. Caroline John was very nervous uh, when she found out in ambassadors of death she found out that she was pregnant so she couldn't really continue to be in a role where required her be moving around a whole lot with a child you know from from what i understood that is one of the least shitty reasons for an actor who's a companion to just vanish yeah there wasn't like uh any sort of bad blood between the production crew or anything like that. There wasn't like a power trippy producer or anything like that this time. <laughs> but whoa, 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 wait a minute. The least shitty reason for a companion to just disappear. Mac, am I going to have to do this again for companions just don't appear in the next Oh, episode? no, I'm like specifically talking about like some of the older companions where it was just like, and they stayed here because their contract was up. And he didn't, oh, like, okay. it's like, oh, okay, like, there was an actual real-world reason for her to just kind of, like, peace, even though they didn't actually do a goodbye scene, which sucks. Okay. I thought I thought I thought I was just going to expect companions to get no <laughs> ending. They just aren't there the next season. It is definitely a um, an outlier. Liz is definitely an outlier, because she technically has the fewest number of stories under her belt if you don't count like katarina and uh sarah kingston sarah kingdom sarah kingdom the person who died in the same episode yes exactly as long as you don't count like katarina and sarah kingdom liz has the fewest number of stories under her belt than any other companion which by the way caleb she was one of the ones that i was thinking of when i was thinking of what is your definition of a companion because in her entire time as a companion, she never even sets foot inside the TARDIS. Ah, but she did partake in a genocide. Wouldn't be Doctor Who without that. Almost the exact opposite, if anything. She tried to prevent a genocide. <laughs> and then the Brigadier was like, I'm gonna. You know, Caleb said, took part 
in a genocide. I would I would argue that stop trying to stop a genocide is taking part in a genocide in some way. Yeah, she was she was involved in some way, shape, or form with a genocide. She was almost involved in two, actually. She's almost more of a companion than all the she other. She was present while a genocide was happening. This is true. <laughs> So, do you want to do goodbye, my dear, now, or do you want to do it at the end of this episode? I don't fucking know. I'm so mad about it. It is worse than a DD exit. You mean Dodo? Dodo DD. Oh. I'm too angry to <laughs> it really care. Really stuck with you very much. It really did, Bob. In case you don't know, Dodo straight up just left a note, being like, "Yeah, I'm not coming back." Not it even was that. Fun. She told Polly to tell the doctor, "No, nah, I'm good." You know, honestly, I, from a character standpoint, not like behind the scenes. I respect that. It's like, you know, this isn't for me. And I, I can respect that as a character thing. Be like, I don't want this. My headcanon is that Polly lied. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor was like, oh, where's where's Dodo? And Polly's like, yes, Dodo, that broad. Uh, she talked to her grandma. And she was like, no, I'm going to stay here The now. genocide that she did was Dodo. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> she killed the last remaining Dodo. How dare she? Apparently, whenever a companion is leaving, I always try to read, like, trivia and behind-the-scenes stuff on their page for in the Doctor Who wiki. Apparently, there is a comic in which the 10th Doctor saves a dodo bird from getting from becoming extinct, and he names it Dorothea because that's what Dodo's real name is. Just, like, in honor <laughs> of her. <laughs> in honor. Here's the stupid fucking bird. <laughs> okay, so... So I do just need, did Dodo actually die? Or are we just, is this a bit? No. I don't no, know. No, Dodo did not die. <laughs> okay. Actress's contract uh, went up mid-story, and she just wasn't in the last half. And her exit was the doctor waiting for Dodo at the TARDIS, waiting for her to hurry up. And then Polly and Ben coming by, and he's like, yeah, I'm waiting on Dodo. And he's like, oh, no, I ran into her. She said... Uh, she's staying with her grandmother and, uh, thanks. It's been fun. <laughs> oh, wow. That is true bullshit. Meanwhile, Liz, understandably, didn't feel like being second fiddle to the doctor and just a lab assistant. She did not get like three or four different pH fucking D's to be, <laughs> to be a lab assistant. Um, and, uh, she decided to go back to Cambridge. Wild. So yeah, let's just do goodbye, my dear now. All right. Sure. Oh, that's to say we're already doing it. <laughs> we're already talking about Liz. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and do it now. She burned bright <laughs> in the short time. Liz took no shit. She took no shit, and we loved her for it. She was a wonderful companion. In a lot of ways, she felt like an equal partner to the Doctor in ways that Zoe could only dream of being. And honestly, it's probably one of the biggest shames in just the show's history of how short-lived Liz is stint as a companion was totally agree liz is fucking great takes no shit uh literally every time someone was like hey you liz answer the phone or hey don't go here it's dangerous her response every single time was fuck you <laughs> and i thought that was great she's boss bitch through and through the worst thing about her is that she's not around anymore <laughs> that's really high praise what would you say your favorite moment is mm, there, there's too few and too many <laughs> I really like the moment where, like, she's just, like, fucking around with the doctor's machine to kill the nestings and then just gets it to work. Yeah. But I like that moment. I also like the moment in, oh, what story was it? When she's being chased by the car and then she, like, she runs onto the dam and just knocks that guy over the bridge. Yeah. 
That was a great moment, too. <laughs> My favorite moment is just her general indignation towards the military men around her. But yeah, if I had to pick one, I would also definitely pick the fucking car chase that she takes place in <laughs> with Bessie. You gotta love it. I do love Bessie. Bessie's, uh, she's no TARDIS, but I do like Bessie. Bessie is a quality vehicle. <laughs> the, uh, the only thing I would say I don't really like about Liz as a companion is the very weird sexual tension between her and the Doctor that kept coming up. There was definitely something intimate about that relationship. And I did not like it. That was not brought into the spotlight, but like, you could feel it. <laughs> it was weird. It was so weird. I did not like it at all. Was it subtextual or was it the performers? There's a moment where... Uh, I'll give you a highlight. Uh, there's a moment where, like, the Liz and the Doctor have been separated through the whole story, and they reunite when the Doctor kind of, like, wakes up from consciousness, and they are, Liz is looking down at him, and their faces are straight up, like, five inches away from each other's, and he brushes a lock out of her face and over her ear. <laughs> yeah, his head is in her lap during this scene. And then there was another part where she thought that the Doctor died, and but then he, like comes comes out like he opens up the door and comes out just barely alive and she just like runs over and hugs him and there was just like during the hug like his hands go to her waist and it just felt like <laughs> there was an intimacy there that you don't really see between the doctor and the companion <laughs> mm-hmm. okay that makes sense bob you're gonna love this uh caleb really really hates it when mm. there's romantic chemistry between the doctor and a companion (laughs) i do not like either of your faces right now (laughs) well you have a couple years (laughs) so you'll probably remember or you'll probably forget by the time you get there but uh that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) so anyway join us next time on a quick trip through space and time oh right we have an episode to talk about um (laughs) yes this is the liz (laughs) shaw podcast It fucking should be. Yeah, why can't it be? (laughs) Just thinking about her. I actually sent uh, Stefan that video that I made that, like, took the music from uh, Initial D and put it over the the, uh, car chase. (laughs) And um, his response was, when did Barbara Streisand become a companion in Doctor Who? (laughs) Yeah, it's actually uh, Doctor Who in Funny Girl. Anyway, the circus. Yay. Nothing bad ever happens in the circus. Also, really quick, before we get to that, I like watching the title sequence because it's like different from how they did it in the in the Trouton era. Mm-hmm. It was kind of interesting for me. I, I specifically noted how watching this one feels more like or more like modern Doctor Who than the black and white one did. Like they, the flourishes that they took, I thought it was pretty interesting. Just like the evolution of that. Including the uh, giant fucking face of John Pertwee. Well, they were doing that with Troughton too though, right? They did do that with Troughton. Yeah, it's true. I forgot that they started that in Troughton. Yeah, the face is always so funny. I hate the intro sequence. I didn't say it was good, but I did say <laughs> it reminded me of the current stuff. Every time Pertwee's face comes up, I just go... <laughs> It really is just like, oh, hi, here's this headshot. Enjoy. <laughs> I don't know what it is about, like, the face he's making right there, but he kind of looks like a... He kind of looks like a who. <laughs> like from Dr. <laughs> Seuss? And, yeah. And that's where they get the name. 
my god. It was Dr. Seuss the whole time. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, one thing, and I, I think I noted this, like, in a later episode, but it kind of permeates the entire, uh, four-episode series, I really miss establishing shots after watching this, because we kind of just show up in all these different locations, and it's like, oh, okay, cool, we're back at unit now, great. Yeah, that's definitely something that we've noticed with this era of Doctor Who. The editing is a lot more snappy, like, get to the point. Yeah, it gets along, which I enjoy from a pacing perspective, but like, it is also very weird to follow sometimes, because like, it does not reestablish where places are. It's just like, all right, we're back here. Yeah, it's like, I know they're going, it's like circus, and then unit, and then radio tower, but it's like... It's like someone will leave a room at the circus and then immediately be at the quarry or immediately be at the radio tower. It's like, oh, okay, I guess they just have a bomb at unit now. We are at the circus and then we meet the man of the hour, the master, who is my favorite Doctor Who villain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is. uh, This is actually the first I've seen of Robert Delgado. He's Mm -hmm. great. He's really good. He is also the reason why Bob requested to uh, be on this episode specifically. (laughs) So, yeah, he's something. Okay, so I like the master because he always comes up with interesting schemes and like machinations. And I think machinations is a great word for it because they're never straightforward. And and like he plays everybody like it's a game of chess. I do have one question, though. He went to the circus, mind controlled the first motherfucker he saw and then used that guy to, I guess, beat a guard off the back, like, hit the guard in the back of the head, and then gets into where the nesting consciousness is being held. At a museum. At a museum. And I, okay, like, if you needed brunt force, like, there was a strong man in the circus you can use. But two, you shouldn't need blunt force because, again, you can control human minds. Why didn't you just control the guards at the museum? <laughs> yeah, it, I think I think whoever wrote this really wanted to do a circus episode because it's kind of like the circus doesn't need to be here. But I do have a I actually have a theory about that because okay. I, I clocked that. Oh, there's green screen now. Very early green screen, <laughs> but we got green screen. And I think they maybe set it at the circus because it was a live set, essentially, that they didn't have to have the entire thing set on one image of, like, rockets in the background. That is true. Which I was like, this is this is hokey. And it's like, I mean, I'm not saying it's better than Once Upon a Time, but... The whole reason that the Doctor is a unit man right now is because the show is has a tighter budget right now so it does not as you say it that does make sense because a circus is a very easy set to build up and then tear down if they need to but they didn't actually the scene when they're like kind of like panning through the circus like the different animals and stuff so it's basically like hey look we got a circus for this there's a shot of the lions in like a train car and then they play like that stock lion growl sound effect and mm-hmm. none of the lion's mouths move. And I was like, cool, this we're still here. This is still Doctor Who. This is still the 70s. <laughs> yep. The only note I have for the entire beginning of this episode is it's a Luigi time. <laughs> it's a Luigi time. I was like, man, is this guy with the double chins going to be evil? And not at first, but eventually, yeah. Is this guy that reminds me of that one dude from Pinocchio going to be evil? You know, and sometimes it's pretty easy to spot the bad guys in Doctor Who, and and I'll just chalk that up to it being in the 70s. 
I don't know what you mean. The master and his goatee are very subtle about whether they're evil or not. The master looks like a mid-journey AI rendition of like like someone typed in 1970s Doctor Strange. <laughs> a little bit. By the way, have you seen the 1970s Doctor Strange thing? Oh, I did have a question. Is this cuz cuz I've listened up I I think the stuff you've released has been up to the second doctor regeneration at this point. I've listened to Correct. all of that. At at the time of recording, we have not posted any third doctor stuff yet. My question was, is this the first time we see another TARDIS traveling? Because I was like, I was, I was interested to see like what Caleb's reaction to you hearing the TARDIS and it like very much not being the police box TARDIS. It's like this bus. No, it's not the first time a TARDIS has been established because there's the recurring monk villain oh, who had a TARDIS. Oh, that's right. The monk did have a TARDIS. But yes, it is the first time we've heard another TARDIS traveling, I think. First time we've seen a TARDIS traveling? Yes, but there were the Sid rats in the in the <laughs> war games. Yes, so like they they made the same. Got it. Okay. Trying to have like noise, it, but this is the first time, like it's appeared and like it's got the chameleon whatever. Yeah, chameleon circuit. Where it's not the TARDIS that we know. Yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting fake out, especially because like this era, um, the Doctor is stranded on Earth by the Time Lords. So like mm-hmm. he's not able to, I mean, like he has the TARDIS because he comes out of it in the, the unit Mario Brothers set that they have there for him. That's like, <laughs> they clearly built this and they are getting their use out of it. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was, I liked it. They still have the TARDIS prop. They just don't have a TARDIS set. Right. He has Bessie instead. And honestly, I love Bessie. Bit of an upgrade, not gonna lie. What? Okay, so this is, you would know this because you've been watching the show. How does he get Bessie? Does he just, the, when the third Doctor shows up, does he just have Bessie? Do you want me to explain? By all means. Okay, so it is, is there an explanation here? Because I'm fascinated by this. So, when when this Doctor first regenerates, he like kind of like passes out as he falls out of the TARDIS. And he gets moved to a hospital. Escapes the hospital. Straight up hijacks a car. <laughs> And then at the end of the story, he's like, I want to keep this stolen car. And the Brigadier is like, no, but I'll get you one that's pretty close to it. Instead of like having scenes in the TARDIS, like at the beginning of the story that so many other stories have, it's kind of like the doctor is in the garage, like working on Bessie. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. I would argue that the doctor puts just as much time into Bessie as he does the TARDIS. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Bobby, haven't seen this episode or listened to this episode yet, but one of my favorite Bessie moments is, I, oh, I can't remember what story it's in, but at one point, Unit hijacks Bessie, and they're driving down the road, and Bessie literally just, like, with their guns hanging out of it, shooting in the air. That's sick. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, more of that, please. I agree. Speaking of Unit, we are back to the Unit lab, and uh, at what point, at which point we meet Joe Grant. Fun fact, Joe is one of my favorite companions, and I am so excited that she's here. I love her. <laughs> yeah, back, my reaction when she came on the screen, because like, I kind of knew it was Joe, and then I was like, oh, my note literally reads, ah, it's Joe Grant. I haven't se- I've seen her in more recent stuff, so this is very fun for me. Yes. It's like I, ki- like, I don't know her a whole lot, but I'm like, I've seen her in stuff, and that's neat. What? <laughs> Joe is, how do I put this? Are you familiar with the show Totally Spies? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Joe is basically a bimbo special agent, and I love her. <laughs> yeah, I, she's everything in here. I, I'm just like I. 
she kind of makes some really dumb beginner mistakes, but I'm like, you're charming. Like, I like you. I would also like to remind you, Caleb, that when Jamie was first introduced and I told you that I really like Jamie, you said, and I quote, I'm going to do everything I can to hate this guy. <laughs> so. Wow. Max straight prepared for me to not like Joe. I was 100% ready for you to hate her. <laughs> History repeats itself. <laughs> My god. Uh, yeah, I hate Joe. Uh, every time she spoke, I'm like, uh, the only thing that went through my head was, where the fuck is Liz? Where the fuck yeah, is Liz? Yeah, you are kind of uh, in that scorned breakup period right now where it's like, <laughs> she's just gone. Where'd she go? You're not my mom. See, you could never replace Liz. Literally, at the end of this episode, when she's like trying to open the bomb box, and she's like, I have to open it. I have to. I was like, yeah, Joe. Yeah, good. Open the box. Yes. <laughs> open the box and die, please. I love um, the, what the doctor calls Joe when she like uses the fire extinguisher to put out the world's smallest fire, which is then actually explained in Technobabble to be on purpose. I was like, yeah. oh, wow, that's... Good for them. Uh, but he calls her, and I had, like, rewound it on BritBox to look at the closed caption to get exactly what he called her. He called her a ham-fisted bun vendor, and that's a great insult. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a ham-fisted bun vendor? I thought I could have sworn he said a ham-fisted bun. Closed caption said bun vendor, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was Bumbler. I, I will I will take your word for it. One, one of my favorite things about joe at this current moment in time is that before you know the whole things with the nesting and master happens she doesn't seem to know that aliens exist and i have to know what the fuck her interview process looked for this position if, <laughs> if she's completely unaware of aliens existing i bet it was a series of comical accidents that ended up with her impressing the brigadier so much that he hired her on the spot that's kind of the impression i get no Head cannon. He interviewed Joe and he was like, oh, she is so unqualified. She is going to ruin everything. She will also annoy the shit out of the doctor. <laughs> You're hired. Here's your HR document. Yep. You're hired. <laughs> I can I can 100% buy that. <laughs> this is actually also the most I've seen of the Brigadier as well. Because, like, he's mentioned a lot in uh, newer Doctor Who, but um, this is, like, the first story I've actually seen with him in it. Uh, so it's, like, I, I'm coming at it from this perspective of he's always talked of so highly by the Doctor and stuff as, you know, someone from his past. But, like, him and the Doctor just are at each other's throats all the time. Let's let's be honest, Bob. It's not the Doctor talking really highly about the Brigadier all the time. It's Stephen Moffat talking really highly about the Brigadier all the time. <laughs> it's like five times within two seasons. And it's like, that's know. a lot for someone from like 40 years before when the, the episode aired. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I feel like this episode, the Brigadier is like a lot less involved than he usually is. Oh, well, they might have been maybe they were trying to like establish Joe a little bit more into, and well, and the master probably. I will also is a, a part you're part of the inner circle, Bob. Um another headcanon we have of ours is that unit is actually where the military sends all of the incompetent and worst soldiers that they can't legally court martial, so they just kind of Shove them in the corner. 
Yeah, you're doing a good job. Why don't you go, like, hunt aliens or something? <laughs> Why don't you go <laughs> hunt aliens? Wink! <laughs> the Brigadier sends in his reports. We stopped that mannequin-like alien race from invading London. And they're like, good job! <laughs> you get a gold star, Allie. <laughs> it just cuts to, like, someone at, like, the more official non-unit military and like it's just all these people in a break room reading the report and losing their fucking mind laughing over it and then there was a toy what <laughs> what is up with this guy i i like that they just have a betting pool going and the new report comes in it's like all right who had <laughs> sentient space suits plastic <laughs> flowers killer plastic flowers <laughs> yeah it it's ridiculous. Um, also, there's this shot when um, Joe is kind of, like, moving around whatever, like, device the doctor has. Uh, I, the cameraman, like, is moving because, like, the cameraman clearly has the camera handheld and is, like, moving with it. I don't think they could have tried more to obscure her face with every single shot from where they were. Because it's directly behind the device at every single goddamn moment. Their cinematographer was off that day. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> they don't have a cinematographer. <laughs> it's it's a work study program. It's whoever's in the room that isn't doing anything at the time. Oh yeah, yeah. You you oh you're a camera person? Why don't you go and hunt for aliens over there? <laughs> oh, hey, you're our fight choreographer? You're not doing anything. Come over here. <laughs> stunt driver? Who's a stunt driver? But uh do we have anything else to say about this scene? Mm-mm. No. I hate Joe. <laughs> Get ready to be with her. I have um, the shittiest speakers known to man. And just like, if a certain noise just happens, a certain note is hit. My TV just like, it does a mmm, mmm kind of thing. I also have no idea why, but for whatever reason, the actress Lena Headey just like, her voice is constantly hitting that note. Anyway, for whatever reason, when the master is like set, like hooking up the nesting to the radio tower. I don't remember if it was the sound effects or the uh, background music that was playing. Something was happening that my TV did not like. And I was just like, oh God, turn down the volume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love how the master just walks into this room. He, he just owns the place. Master keeps confusing me because like he, he doesn't seem very consistent as to who he's going to control and who he's going to kill. Because I know there's somebody who works at the radio station that he decides to kill, and then when he gets caught, he controls the person who catches him. Yeah. I'm like, do you flip a coin in your head or what? Like, when when <laughs> the doctor, the brigadier, and Joe show up, I was like, clearly everyone here is, like, mind-controlled right now. Like, we've seen the master be able to do that. Don't trust anybody. But then they're just not. It's weird. Mac, you clearly don't understand the advanced 4D level chess the master is playing in his mind. Is it the same 4D level chess that that guy who just showed up by TARDIS sound, like, floating in the sky? <laughs> I was like, I, d I looked it up after, I was like, okay, I think I kind of know who this is. But I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> we cut back to the unit base and the doctor saying, basically, parroting Caleb and saying, no, I fucking hate this bitch, get rid of her. Uh, she's not nearly as cool as Liz. And my note for this scene is, cue Caleb getting pissed in three, two, one. Yep. 
Uh, my other note about this scene is that I like Joe's outfit. And uh, it's this story that I realized, I think I just like 70s fashion. I think I've just come to terms with that about myself. I just like 70s fashion. It's good. I, I really like the doctor's like frilly shirt. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> His fucking magician yeah. outfit. <laughs> I mean, get ready. There's going to be a lot more of those. Because didn't previously, because Hartnell and Trouton kind of just wore suits, right? Sort of. I don't think they were really like flashy, kind of like outlandish things but also they were black and white so that might also have had something to do with it they definitely weren't flashy they definitely were like a like a a suit jacket trouton's was just a bit like frumpier yeah mm-hmm. it, it's like the doc the first doctor was very proper like with a jacket and like a it is like little a little um, hat not a not a not a not a bow tie a cravat? like some some something i don't know something that went to the neck and like uh, dress pants and nice shoes and often had a cane and then just like take that outfit put it through the washer a couple of times and just let it air dry and that's basically what the second doctor wore <laughs> he did kind of look a little bit like a hobo yes cosmic hobo was the aesthetic that they were going for with him but uh um, yeah caleb if you if you liked uh if you like his frilly shirt get ready there's a lot more absolutely bonkers costumes coming. I really like this doctor. I do not like his outfit. Oh, good. Uh, but yes, the, the BritBox has spoiled some of the outfits to me already, just in the header. Yeah. And boy, how did I cannot wait to get the Riddler doctor. <laughs> <laughs> now, you could be referring to at least five doctors by saying that. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I just want you to know. That could that qualify is... so many different people. <laughs> totally true. I really like the doctor that uh, that looks like a, a C-grade Batman villain. Narrow it down! <laughs> <laughs> we told you to be specific. I like the doctor with the rainbow colors. Still not what helping. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I do kind of appreciate that uh, we're kind of dealing with an enemy from the doctor's past and one that he's he's very much aware of but we're not privy to yeah it's a nice uh it kind of like gives everything this like mythos of it's like oh and and, like i would imagine like people who were watching live at the time were like oh did i has he been here before like did we miss something uh because like there's like it's like oh yeah this the master is someone from the doctor's past period yeah i was actually confused for a little bit because i thought we had seen the master before (laughs) Well, I can understand why you might think that, Caleb. Because in the war games, there's that other Time Lord that actually looks exactly fucking like him. (laughs) Yeah, um, if you recall, one thing I said during the war games is that um, there is a character that the war chief looks and acts exactly like. (laughs) And uh, a lot of fan theories uh, think that they are the same character. Meet that character. <laughs> yep, I absolutely 100% understand why that theory exists. Because, oh my, like, literally, it wasn't until, like, episode, like, three or four where they make an off comment about, like, not knowing who the master is, or, like, not referring to the war games. I was like, wait, was it not that guy? <laughs> it is technically a different character, but you can definitely see where they got their inspiration from. Yeah, because when the Mary Poppins Time Lord appears, and it's like, yeah, and like your other dealings with the Master, I was like, yeah, that one guy from the War Games. There's another one. The Mary Poppins Time Lord? That's like 20 different people. Oh my god, no. <laughs> yeah, the the Mary Poppins Time Lord, who just apparently 
teleported to Earth. With the TARDIS sound. With the TARDIS sound, by himself, without the use of a TARDIS, and then was just, like, floating in midair because he got the aiming just a little bit off, and then just floated over to where the Doctor is and landed next to him. And I have so many questions. Yeah, I was, like, so with the way they framed it, when he, like, teleported in, I was like, oh, is he giant? Because he was, like, standing <laughs> on the horizon, and, it like, it turned out he was just floating, but it was like, what's happening here? I guess I just kind of bought it, because the way I've kind of interpreted it is whatever the Doctor has, technology-wise, is, like, significantly behind what the Time Lords actually possess. That's fair. Well, also, so... Has has this character shown up before? Because when I looked... Because I, I did look this up because I was like, I want to know what the fuck is going on with this guy. It did say that he was one of the people on the council that exiled the Doctor to Earth. But it was, it was like a different regeneration of one of the people, which is like never explained. If it is, that that is not that is not said out loud. Because he does talk about the um, Triumvirate or whatever, the ones that banished him. And I thought that he was just like an office worker who works for them and was here to deliver message. I didn't think that he was like one of the judges, mostly because the judges are a lot more severe than this guy. This guy's way more whimsical. And yeah, I, I just kind of assumed he was a different, different person. It's weird. And I do like that. The time Lords uh, continue their tradition of observing, but not actually doing shit um, <laughs> because they warn him of the master and they also warn him, oh, by the way, there's a there's a bomb on the other side of this door that you were just about to open. And he is like, great, can you help me with either of those problems? And then he just, like, pieces and, and fades into the background. <laughs> and Doctor's like, great, exactly, no. exactly what, I've, what I've come to expect from you fuckers. All right. So next to the, so, like, he was like, yeah, there's a bomb in that room. And the Doctor, like opens the door just enough to like peek in and look but it's like there was a window literally right next to that that he could have just looked in and seen the wire leading to the bomb yeah but like the time lord was standing in front of the window and it would have been really awkward it was because they're on a very narrow pathway and doctor would have been like excuse me oh excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> yeah god excuse forbid me. he see the bomb that's about to go off <laughs> Also, again, Bob, you're mistaking the show where the decisions make sense. <laughs> again, everyone is playing advanced 40 chess that you do not understand. Yeah, it, it can be so hand-waved as, you know, this is the Time Lords are going to do what the Time Lords are going to do, which is so frustrating. And also, like, scooching past him to get to the window is, I don't know, a little rude. And if there's one thing I know about the British is that they would rather be blown up with a bomb than be just a little bit rude. <laughs> he was wearing a bowler hat. That's that's he's a dandy. <laughs> Doesn't like throw open the door and then like jump in to like catch the bomb before it. Yeah, he basically just moves faster than the bomb, which shit trap. <laughs> yeah, it's um I I don't want to like give too much spoiler and like I don't know how much of this was, you know, retroactive, you know, re or retroactively written into the master in future appearances. There's a lot of like, the, it is very cat and mouse, and sometimes it's very on purpose. It's very Sherlock and Moriarty. Mm -hmm. It's almost a one to one comparison with Sherlock and Moriarty. Like, I kind of got the impression that this was like a calling card. Like, I didn't, I, the master didn't really expect this to kill the doctor. He was just like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm here. Hi. Which, 
I think he says later, but I also get the vibe of like he says that with every single one of his attempts to kill the doctor. I was like, oh yes, I knew that wouldn't kill him. That was merely to <clears throat> test his resolve. Okay, back to the drawing board. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I like how they find the dead guy in the coffee can. Yeah. What are you talking about? You mean the action figure? <laughs> no, I mean, like, because, like, yeah. they're like, where's the guy who was supposed to be working here? And they open, like, the little tin. There's just a, a tiny dead body in there. <laughs> okay, so this is one of the master's favorite tricks is, like, this miniaturization ray. And it's kind of unclear <laughs> how exactly it is that that kills people. But apparently it does. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say too much. I can't offer you an explanation because there is none. <laughs> they ju- they just shrink you so teeny tiny, or they put you in a little can. There's not enough air. Yeah, it's very vague. He removes all of the water and air from your body, and you just shrink like you've just been vacuum sealed. <laughs> so yeah, so I was like, wow, that's gonna be relevant. The whole plot's probably gonna revolve around shrinking people. <laughs> no, he just has a shrinking. Stick. No, that that's like. The next time the master shows up. And then, like, three more times down the line, and who knows? No, no, you see, uh, shrinking that one guy was just a calling car. (laughs) He put him in the lunchbox and then just, like, shook him up a bit. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) My next note is uh, Secret Agent Joe, because they are trying to figure out, like, which specific plastics factory the, the master is at. And Joe has, like, an idea, so she just, like... She just goes. Sneaks sneaks onto the base and is, just like, trying to trying to get some info. Uh, and then accidentally knocks over a box and immediately gives herself away. A box that was, like, so precariously teetered there. It was just like, man, this is, like, big OSHA violation. <laughs> just, I love... She knocks over the box and then just, like, keeps her head down. And I, I can just, like, hear her thinking... They can't see me if I can't see them. They can't see me if I can't see them. <laughs> she just, like, looks up, and the, the master is just, like, looking directly at her, and she's like, hi. Yeah, I, I was like, okay, yeah, she got caught. Like, she's like, hi. And I was like, then my last note was like, oh, god damn it, Joe. Like, come on, this is amateur hour. <laughs> I hate Joe. <laughs> Do you? Yes. I also really hate the master's fucking secret name, or pseudonym oh master I, Kurt, or general masters or whatever yeah colonel masters that's like the doctor being like yes i am mr doctor <laughs> i mean <laughs> the master is a lot of things subtle is not one of them <laughs> yeah it, every yeah he he always kind of tends to be the absolute most bombastic villain which is sick i love it the last note that like i, I wanted to touch on um was when the doctor like is like there was a bomb here and the brigadier and Joe are like oh my god and the brigadier's like well you know if you let me take that we can look at it the doctor's like absolutely not do you think I'm just going to give this war like this war weapon to you like fuck you no yeah I'm not giving you a time lord bomb fuck off yeah it's not happening (laughs) speaking of bombs though when Joe is like being controlled by the master and she's trying to get the bomb to be set off in the middle of the uh, the doctor's lab. Yates goes to try and put the bomb, like defuse the bomb, and then Joe just fucking takes him out. 
That's my last note. Is Joe just fucking took Yates out because she just because he goes and then she just like wham like punches him in the gut and he goes he goes yeah. over cleans his cloth. No, Yates is um he is a recurring character, right? Yes, he is a recurring okay. character, but this is his first appearance. Oh, oh, okay. I thought he had appeared before here, but I was no. I'm truly just going off of the Wikipedia. So there's two unit soldiers not including the brigadier who are like recurring characters and that's sergeant benton and captain yates got it okay but yeah that's all i have to say about this episode yeah same that's all i have to say too all right an hour into recording episode i was just about to say let's try and pick (laughs) up the other ones (laughs) episode two the doctor throws the box out a window and it explodes the doctor helps joe snap out of her fugue state and she breaks down when she realizes what she has done at the factory, Farrell's father comes in, comes in to confront him about the strange change in operations. The master tries and fails to hypnotize him, so as a parting gift, he gives the man the most flagrantly evil doll you have ever seen. <laughs> when at home, Farrell Sr. sets the freaky doll by a heater, and it comes to life and lunges at him. Mrs. Farrell screams when she finds her husband's corpse. The doctor and unit search for a missing Professor Phillips, and the trail leads them to the circus where the master originally appeared. The Doctor breaks into the Master's TARDIS and steals the component, but he is quickly caught by Luigi. Joe, who followed the Doctor against orders, warns the Brigadier. Phillips, brainwashed by the Master, enters the room with the Doctor holding an active grenade. He tries to resist the Master's mind control, but the Doctor only narrowly escapes before the grenade goes off, killing Phillips. The Doctor meets with Joe, but they are swarmed by carnies. Luckily, the police come to save the day. However, the cops don't appear to be taking them back to unit. One of the policemen turns back to look at the doctor, and he removes the man's mask, revealing the Auton beneath. Okay, Caleb, I am genuinely fucking surprised that you did not mention this in your recap. Because, what was the head of the head of the factory's name? Farrell. Farrell. Uh, his assistant. Oh. I don't remember what his assistant is, but uh, his assistant is poking around, asking too many questions, and... It gets killed by the plastic and couch. And ki- it gets killed by an inflatable chair. <laughs> yep. Because the doc- because <laughs> the master is like, we're developing this new thing. Why don't you take a seat? It's actually very... It's actually surprisingly comfortable. It has special properties. It has special <laughs> properties. Then he sits in it, and it just, like... It's like, folds in. Mimic from D&D, and just kind of, like surrounds him and then like suffocates him and i think that's one of the most infamous classic who uh shots is a man being strangled to death by a plastic chair (laughs) listen mag i've got a word count (laughs) if this had been in the 90s you know that would have been like that like see-through plastic see i was i was like were inflatable chairs popular in the 70s because i know they were kind of popular in the 90s and like that 20-year nostalgia phenomenon thing would line up. So I guess inflatable chairs were popular in the 70s? I'd be interested to look that up just because it's like, I truly have no clue. But uh, when when the doctor is like trying to like snap Joe out of bomb mode, he says to uh, the other guy, I think the current jargon is schizoid dissociation. And I was like, hmm, that aged good. That mm. aged great. It sure yes. is the current jargon in the year of our Lord, 1971. Oh, I have another note <laughs> about the exact, uh, about another parlance from that time period that we'll get to later. <laughs> but yeah, the blow up chair was fucking hilarious. Yes, I agree. It was hilarious. Oh, and I was like, is this the weirdest way that someone has ever died on Doctor Who? I wouldn't be shocked if it was. 
there's probably a dumber way <laughs> at least up to uh, at least up until this point the visual comic gag silliest yes i'd say the dumbest no i still think uh oh who's the turkish warrior from evil the daleks that got overpowered by the old man yeah that's the that's the dumbest way someone has died on the that show. is very true <laughs> oh man also, the uh, the actor playing the head of, or like the guy who founded that plastic factory, that actor is fucking tall. Like he yeah. was like at least a oh, head yeah. taller than he everyone was. else in that scene. Like he had to slump down in the chair in uh, like the same amount that I do when I'm at work in order for the plastic chair to be able to actually suffocate him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, like as great as the evil chair is uh i think my maybe my brain got more hyper fixated on the fucking satanic doll yeah my note for the doll was what the fuck is that thing my god i mean they even try at least they acknowledge that it's ugly as sin they're not like oh what a cute what a cute doll or anything like that they're like ugh who the fuck is gonna buy this yeah like also it kind of looked like a racist caricature of like i was just like is this supposed to be a thing? It's like a racist caricature, but I'm not sure who it's racist against. <laughs> I'm just offended by it. I'm just offended by it in general. So I've got two big phobias. One of them is spiders, and the other is fucking creepy-ass dolls. <laughs> so when this thing just stood up in the backseat, I was like, no, no, sit the fuck down. No. Also, the green screen moment whenever it stands up like a toddler, like, standing up. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb so joe was um brought brought back to lucidity and she is being told to rest and um everyone is going off to do their own investigations and joe is like okay i'll go over here and uh the brigadier tells her not to uh, says to stay right here until you're feeling better is that understood and she just looks at him and then just smiles and says yes of course brigadier i'll do exactly what you say and my note is, that is the smile of a woman who is not going to do exactly what the Brigadier <laughs> says. <laughs> That's the smile of, I've had to put up with this shit. Sure, yeah, I'll tell you to your face, I'm going to do it. And then he turns away immediately, does exactly what he told her not to do. Okay, so the doll, it becomes more animated when it's heated up. And I love that the master's big grand plan of how to take out Feral Sr. so that he won't be able to shut down the company is he gives him the doll and the doll is put in the back seat. And also the master turns up Feral Sr.'s heat all the way up in his car <laughs> as if he's not going to fucking notice and then turn just turn the AC on, which is exactly what happened. <laughs> my note here was, you know what I do when I'm driving in my car and get warm? I turn the heat off. <laughs> to be fair, Master's never driven a car. Doesn't know what you do when you drive this one. Tardis <laughs> sure looks like a car, though. He's like, yes, these humans, they like it to be 98 degrees. I know in the future, they're big fans of 98 degrees. <laughs> so I'm going to... <laughs> exactly 98.4. That is the temperature that they like. And nothing He's like looking at his hand. It's smudged where it says that's the human blood. Or that's like the blood temperature <laughs> level. The doctor goes to the circus and then pretty much immediately gets captured. Yep, by uh, by the ringleader, or, like, the hypnotized ringleader, and then also the... Uh, the strongman. Yeah, the strongman. And... Who is wearing animal furs. <laughs> Why? 
why is why is this another character archetype that comes back and Bob is also guesting? Why we are not we are not putting our best foot forward here, and I feel like we're not impressing our guests. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> I, I know this isn't you guys. This is the show from 1970. But holy shit, it's like. <laughs> So is this is like the the first time in a minute that this has happened because I was really like oh so this just keeps going great as far as I remember like we haven't really had a character like this since Tomb of the Cybermen since, yeah since <laughs> Tomb oh my God. of the Cybermen I don't think there's been a like a real cringe racist moment it was seriously like they really had to put this man in animal furs what the fuck like truly like what the fuck it's not just animal furs it's the fact that he. Has no lines. Yeah. He is silent the entire time. <laughs> the scene gets worse as it goes on. So, hey, just the visual shock of, like, a strong black man in animal furs. You're like, oh, fuck. Cringe. Mm-hmm. But the more the guy interrogating the doctor talks, the worse it gets. He's like, you know, Toby here. He'll break your legs. It's like, why is he named Toby? <laughs> yeah, considering the last one was named Toberman. <laughs> and it's really like, they couldn't... Okay, yeah, I guess they couldn't even come up with a different sounding name. Joe gets to the circus and sees that the doctor is captured. So she goes over to the nearest phone booth and uh, tells the brigadier, hey, the doctor's captive. We're going to need backup. And the brigadier is just like, I I told you to be to not to not leave. And she's like, uh-huh. Anyway, the doctor has been captured and you wouldn't know if it wasn't for me. And she's like, OK, I'm going to go rescue him now. And he says, you'll do nothing of the sort. You'll stay in the background until I get there. Is that clear? And I just wanted her to be like, oh, sorry, sir. My phone booth is going through a tunnel. <laughs> it's, it's like that, uh, that Peppa Pig scene where it just hangs up the phone. <laughs> hangs up the phone. <laughs> so she goes over to the little trailer that the doctor is in. And then, like, they overpower the strong man, which is, like, really easy to do, apparently. And then, like... Wasn't it the guy who was, like, hypnotized from the the radio station is also at the circus, and he's, like, looking at them with binoculars or something, and it was, like, they, yes. like, peek out from the, the door, and he sees them, and I was, like, there is no fucking way in hell that the set that they had been in where the doctor was being held is that big as that trailer. Like, the trailer was tiny, and I was, like, is that fucking TARDIS? Are there three TARDISes here? <laughs> Luigi's been a time lord the whole time. <laughs> okay. But we got we gotta fucking talk about this. We gotta fucking talk about the assassination scene. <laughs> Holy shit, it's fucking gold. So I I had to I had to rewind it and watch it multiple times. I was laughing my goddamn ass off. Okay, so Farrell Sr. is sitting down at his chair, his favorite chair, reading his newspaper, his favorite newspaper. His wife had put the doll up on the radiator and like... As you do, as anyone who has a radiator knows, you just put stuff on there. Not a fire hazard. No, not at all. Especially not when you put a plastic doll on top of it. And then obviously it comes to life and then it like, I don't even know how to describe it. It like jumps at him and like... Does it bite his neck? Am I remembering this correctly? I think that's supposed to be yeah, because it has the fangs. It's such a weird. It's just like it's it's just like <laughs> it's like someone threw the doll at him from off screen, and he had to like ha- catch it and put it on its neck and go ah, and then he and he like falls to the ground dead, 
And then this is the worst green screen we've had because all of a sudden he's just like, it. it's like the camera is zoomed in on a specific part of the living room. And they, the way they have the green screen is like the, the guy in the doll costume is like too far away. So he looks like teeny tiny as he runs away. And then the wife comes in and like screams and... It was so fucking funny. I yeah. can't a- I can't adequately <laughs> explain it. You have whoever's watch- listening to this has to watch at least this specific part of this specific episode. Please. Surely this part is on YouTube. I hope so. They were just really big fans of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> It, it, it was like. very killer rabbit. Like just like flying at his neck and like him holding it just like spinning around. Brittany described the special effects as crunchy, and I am, mm-hmm. yeah, I I agree with her. <laughs> yeah, she is correct because because you know that the first time I did this, I watched the scene, I paused it, rewound, it's like Brittany, Brittany, come in here, you gotta watch this. <laughs> it was nourishing for me. I needed it after uh, the racist caricature. Uh, I needed give me just a dumb death because they they it was, it was like, a sandwich. It was uh, we got the chair death and then we got the doll death. It was a palate cleanser. Uh, okay, honestly. But then then later, uh, when we go back to the circus and like they're being harangued by carnies, who I'm guessing were probably all hypnotized by the master. I'm assuming so. It's never clear, but... Either that yeah. or these are the best paid carnies in the fucking world. And like they're just defending their boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of them says something about like, these guys killed the strong man or something like that, don't they? Like, they accuse them of attacking I don't remember, but it's definitely very angry mob mentality here. And, like... It's got it's got big union against scabs energy. <laughs> Is this the episode where that the hypnotized guy from the radio station dies? I think it is. Yeah, because this is the grenade. He blows himself up with a grenade. Which, like, was also bonkers. Also, he, like, blows up, and, like, he's just still fully intact with the grenade in his hand, with just, like, a little trickle of blood down, and it's, like... It's one of those acne Looney Tune grenades. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, that would have that would have done a whole lot more than that. This is a kid's show, Bob. Or a family show. I think that was, like, honestly, the, they were like, yeah, they are not gonna show the amount of gore that someone holding a grenade in their hand and blowing up would happen. You gotta tone this down, dude. You gotta rewrite it. <laughs> I wish. The racism stuff... Might as well keep it. Not a big deal at all. Who gives two shits about that? But the grenade? Can't have that. And then, hooray, the doctor and Joe are saved by the police. The police always save The police are always there to save the day. If the doctor and Joe are scabs in this situation, the police probably would save them. (laughs) And then my very last note of this uh, episode is, is just a cab. Because the cop turns around in the cop car to show that it is, it is a uh, an auton. <laughs> that was that was like a pretty effective like it's kind of like like uncanny valley of like oh that looks weird and it's supposed to look weird like the it's like it looked creepy as fuck. Yeah, I actually think it was good costume design. So mm-hmm. so the last times the auton showed up, was this a reused like prop or like mask or stuff from it? No, actually, the, no, it was different. The autons were basically shopping dummies got it okay they, they still looked very unsettling in spearhead but they looked mm-hmm. different yeah the autons in spearhead looked more like latex masks that were just a little off kilter got it okay yeah. no uh 
the last couple things I have for this episode uh, before we move on was the shot of the car swerving up. I can't remember if it was the police car or the brigadier's car, but like it like showed up and swerved, and it was like that looked really cool actually. Like that was a legitimately great shot, um, especially for the seventies. And then um, I think it's the brigadier. Someone says, "Oh, they're going to get lynched," and I was like, "Oh God, okay, is that a common parlance right now?" Because that's you just casually said that. Now I don't know if lynching in the UK quite has the same racial connotations as it does in America. I think I, I think that's a probably what it was because it was really like oh god this is a, that's a loaded word and mm-hmm. they just casually did that and it's like that means something different here. Well, oh, I'm giving the writers the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I know, um, I know, like generally the UK has like a different relationship with racism it's still not good but it's different than it is here it's different flavor yeah yeah honestly it's 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 the cool it's not the cool american version it's the cool ranch (laughs) version of racism here in america we do racism right (laughs) but it's like i mean like growing up in like the you know the 90s to now like i do not hear people just casually say the word lynching so it just like really caught me off guard when i when it was just like casually mentioned yeah oh and then they're going to the bbc quarry and i was like oh we love the bbc quarry uh and i am ready for episode three if you guys are yes i am also ready for episode three the doctor fights off the autons and the car crashes the two find themselves in a quarry and are chased by more autons the brigadier and unit manage to rescue them though the doctor uses the dematerialization unit stolen from the master to repair his TARDIS. However, it's incompatible, but at least he knows the master is stuck on Earth with him. At the factory, the master is pleased by the production of a realistic plastic daffodil. The Autons hand out thousands of these to the general public. The team is called to Feral Senior's home where they investigate the evil doll. While making some tea, the doll comes alive and tries to attack Joe, but Captain Yates shoots it to pieces just in time. The doctor realizes it was heat that brought the doll to life. The doctor receives a call from the master, who just wants to say goodbye. The man presses a button, and the doctor's phone comes to life and tries to choke him with the cord. God damn it, that was good. <laughs> that uh, that bit right at the end gave me it reminded me of a Futurama when all the robots try to take over. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the little gift card <laughs> yeah. with its communist <laughs> manifesto. <laughs> um, I kind of love the choreography here or not choreography. I don't even know what to talk about. I love the fact that, uh, captain Yates fucking rams a dude and he goes flying <laughs> off a cliff. I, yeah. I also was like the fight choreography, like the stunt choreography is pretty well done in this scene. Like, I, I mean, compared to what it used to be, like, it was like, Oh, this is an actual location that they're shooting this on. And that guy got hit by a fucking car. I could very well be wrong. I might be misremembering a piece of trivia. Pretty sure that was an accident. Pretty sure he was not supposed to be actually hit by the car and then go tumbling down the hill afterwards. But he immediately got up, so they kept it in the show. (laughs) It was great. Paid off. (laughs) Best part of the episode. Yeah, like the all of the Auton stunt people, that was that was really cool. Like I was it it was like this is the most action I've seen in classic Doctor Who. Like it's it's not just like running through cardboard corridors is like oh this is like they got stunt people for it that's really (laughs) neat they were not paid enough i don't know who these gentlemen were but they were not paid yeah honestly i sure hope they got i sure hope they were part of a union and got health care well they're in the uk so they're 
they probably have better than it than here. The Pertwee era, by and large, has been more action packed. I think this is the first one where that action has been kind of good. <laughs> mm. Oh, I love the Auton's hands, like the that where it just like like the gun, flips, like flips yeah, down like, and there's the a gun. Hinge. Yeah. I, I love that. It's that I'm just like mm, Chef's kiss. It's so dumb. It's perfect. Yeah. No notes. Excellent. <laughs> it's like that that design. It sticks, and you know. Good for them. My biggest critique of the hand finger guns is that each finger is not a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, if, if Doctor Who was an American show, they would have done that. Yes. <laughs> I love this because this is consistent with Third Doctor. They get back to the unit base and the Doctor is just like has the TARDIS part in his hand. And they're all like, oh, my God, if this if this goes unchecked, uh, the Master could destroy the all of humanity. And the Doctor's like, yeah, yeah, that's uh, awful. Excuse me for a second. And he goes into the TARDIS to try and dematerialize again. <laughs> and, but it doesn't work. That's like the third fucking time he's tried to do that. <laughs> I mean, he's stuck in England. Ugh. In basically every story, the Doctor tries to leave halfway through the plot. <laughs> Man, I wonder how different the third doctor's era would be if he wasn't like, if he wasn't stuck on earth for like the first part of it or like any part of it. I, I truly, I'm not saying that as a spoiler. I truly don't know how it ends, but like, I know that he is exiled on earth for a lot of it. If not all of it. And you don't have to answer back. I have things to say, but can't redacted. You don't need to, to go into it here. I mean, yeah, I was like, yeah, I mean, I get where the doctor's coming from. It's like, yeah, get get me the fuck out of this unit base. I hate it here. The best part of him trying to escape is that one time he actually kind of does. You haven't seen it yet, Bob, but there's a point where like the Brigadier is like, hey, we're actually facing like an end of the world situation. And the doctor's like, great, I got the TARDIS working and actually kind of leaves for a little bit. <laughs> Deuces. He doesn't like go forward or backwards in time. He goes sideways and ends up in a parallel world that is currently being blown up. And he's like, Right, so I'm going to try to leave again. <laughs> uh, and like, literally, literally, there's a group of people who are like, we're all about to die. And he's like, yeah, that's really sad. And then he dematerializes. <laughs> yeah, that, that, sounds like, that sounds like the doctor. I have a note that says, oh, this is actual nightmare fuel. I don't remember what it is. I think it's, I feel like there's just like a whole bunch of Autons who are all have like those big masks, like mascot masks oh, on. It, and it's they're, the mascot oh, and they're like yeah, all I hated that so much. Walking across a field. And it's just like, there's something bad. It's like, oh God, I hate that. Totally agree. I fucking hate the big head guys. They Holy were just shit. handing out these fake flowers and like, everyone's like, oh, this is normal. There's nothing wrong with it. It's like, these are horrendous. And Okay. And I wrote down a paraphrased scene here. Mm -hmm. Doctor, any news from the factories? Joe, there's one currently doing a promotion tour. Doctor, my dear, the master isn't going to advertise what he's doing. And I'm like, can we please get past the part where the doctor underestimates Joe sooner rather than later, please? Because other than the time where she got captured, she's kind of like three for three at this point. Oh, God. I do love um, Joe calling out the doctor for being childish. And it's like, well, yeah, she's, she's not wrong. She is uh, right on target. She, she calls him childish, and I actually love this exchange because I'm probably going to use it for the intro. She says he's childish, and he's and he says, and I quote, "What's wrong with being childish? I like being childish." <laughs> the most childish answer to that <laughs> says a child. 
I don't really get the vibe that Joe does anything on purpose. Like, during that conversation with Saya, when they was like, all right, do we have any clues? She's like, well, I got this cool piece of paper. <laughs> like, she's just walking down the street, and it, like, blows on the wind. It just hits her the face. Oh, look at that. They're handing out they're handing out daffodils. And then they go to um, Farrell Sr.'s house, and they're interviewing the wife. And she mentions that the guy who's, like, taking over the, the uh, factory is named Colonel Masters. And... The doctor and Joe just, like, give each other a look. I'm like, if the master wasn't such a fucking diva, he might have gotten away with it. (laughs) Yeah, very truly. Name yourself Dave. For fuck's sake. There's nothing wrong with Dave. I did. uh, I was honestly kind of shocked that Mrs. Farrell was still alive. I I fully thought that she would have been killed by the doll, too. Yeah, you think I find it funny that Mrs. Farrell could not put any pieces of anything together. I just came in and my husband was dead. But, you know, it was kind of weird. That demonic doll that we had that was on the radiator. It's at the window as if it was trying to get away or something. Isn't that weird? Chucky hadn't come out yet, so... (laughs) She also fully... Why wasn't she in jail? Like, you would think, like... It's like, her husband was found dead. No one else was here. She killed her husband. <laughs> it was like she should have probably been in prison or something, or at least like in a holding cell, because it's like it looks like she killed him. Head cannon, she did. <laughs> the doll told me to do it. She put the doll on top of the radiator on purpose. She knew what would happen. Oh yeah, but man, God, I just absolutely cannot fucking. I, I'm still horrified by the the daffodil hander outers that actual nightmare for when feel. they're in the bus and they're just all sitting there. I'm like, I hate this. This is honestly mm-hmm. worse than the doll. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Because, like, there's something about the eyes being so big. It, I mean, it's like they did a good job designing something that was, like, really horrible to look at. But it was just like, the, why would you accept anything from that thing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just... Why would you let it approach you even remotely? If I was walking down the street in Chicago and I saw... That I would cross to the other side so fucking fast I would jaywalk if I had to. Even in the middle of like high traffic, just nope. <laughs> yeah, it's like ah uh, no 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 no. I I saw this episode of Doctor Who. I'm not fucking with it. I would commit manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> You'd push it into the traffic. I feel like I'm gonna get clipped a lot this episode. <laughs> so they take the doll right, and then the doll attacks Joe when they're in the lab. Am I remembering that correctly? It's been three yeah. weeks since I watched this episode. Okay, I love that, like, it attacks Joe, Joe screams, and then Yates comes in just ready to fucking blast him. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I came in blasted. Like, Yates clearly joined the military to have an excuse to fucking kill some shit. <laughs> and he was just a little bit too into it, and that's why he was sent to unit. And what really mm. upsets me is that, like, no one thought, let's make Gates American. <laughs> yeah, he, his character, I think, would have made a lot of sense if he was... <laughs> he has big America energy. He, yep. he could have been called Yates the Yankee, and they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> also, I will say, it was nicely cathartic to see the, the doll just, like, shot the fuck up. <laughs> like, just in pieces on the floor. It's like, okay... The evil is defeated. We're done. Like, Devil May Cry, like, juggling the, the doll in the air with his guns by just shooting it repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
There, okay, there was another part that made me laugh really fucking hard. So the doctor and the brigadier go to the plastics factory in order to like try and find some evidence that the master is up to is is associated with this this factory. And there's a big safe behind the the desk, like a big wall safe. And the doctor is like trying to crack the code by putting his ear up against it. And he opens up the safe and there's just an auton in there. And he just instantly like raises his hand to start shooting. And the doctor like slams the door closed. And I just, there's just something really fucking funny about the master putting an auton in the safe just in case the doctor opens it up. <laughs> it's truly like, it's like the ax hanging by like a little thread and you open it, just like swings down and chops you in half. Yeah. Like it, there's something very like D&D tomb of horrors about that. You open the door, you get shot. Or say, for example, you open the door and a grenade goes off. <laughs> I just like, oh yeah, surprise secret Auton. You thought you were done with these. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, and then and then the uh the phone repair man that they're like, Where's your ID? Shows ID. Looks at the ID. Yeah, it seems legit. And then like we see it later, it's like, yeah, of course it's not legit. Yeah, then then he then he leaves and like the master just like pulls the face off. And it was the master <laughs> the whole time. He was the phone repair man. God, I just like also just that that scene of the cord. I loved that so much. That was it was camp as fuck. I think it's the inflatable chair and this phone cord. I think are the two like iconic shots of this era. <laughs> also like the clearly um like they clearly reversed the tape from it like mm-hmm. twisting off of him. Like I was like that was a pretty silly effect. I did I did like it. It was like, yeah, that's that tracks. It's not the first time they've done that trick too. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's kind of, it's so obvious when you see like the the film is like um in Tomb of the Cybermen actually when the Cybermen are like going back into their things it's yeah. like oh they just played it reverse it looks cool <laughs> but it's just like yeah that's what they could do it looks I can physically see it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no qualifier just it looks oh, I really liked the phone conversation between the master and the doctor yeah doesn't he just say I'm just I just con- calling to say goodbye. It really is like, I wanted you to die. Ha 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 ha, evil laugh. (laughs) By the way, I think it was when the doctor throws the bomb out the window. That's when the master is like, oh, I knew he'd survive that. That was just a way of saying hello. And again, I'm sure he says that with every single time he tries to kill the doctor. (laughs) It's his love language. Look, the doctor and the master is a very popular ship, and I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm saying I get it. It yeah. Yeah. It, they're always enemies to lovers. <laughs> always. Always. And yeah, I'm ready I'm ready for episode 4. Yep. Yeah. Episode 4, baby. This is the end and boy howdy does it end. The doctor is saved by the brigadier. Understanding the threat of the nesting, the doctor realizes the master plans to use the plastic daffodils to kill citizens and mass. The brigadier is confident he can just blow everyone up before that happens. It's a solid theory, honestly. The master appears, ready to use his shrink ray on the doctor. Joe just blurts out Unit's whole plan like a fucking idiot. The master takes them to the quarry so they will be killed by the Brigadier's missile strike. The Brigadier cancels the strike when he realizes they are in danger. Unit forces start fighting with the Autons. The master returns to the radio telescope to receive aid from the greater nesting forces. Instead, the doctor convinces the master that he would be useless to them if a full-scale invasion happened. 
and the master just kind of agrees and turns off the autons. When he escapes, unit soldiers pursue and kill him. However, the dead man is just re is revealed to be Rex Farrell in a realistic plastic mask. Everyone assumes that the master has escaped Earth, but the doctor still has the working dematerialization unit. So the master is still out there somewhere. Dun dun dun. There's a lot to unpack in this episode. Yeah. So I love that the ending of episode three was, you know, the cord being wrapped around the doctor and like strangling him. And you just like, oh, man, how was the doctor going to get out of this one? Uh, he gets out of it by uh, shouting for help. And then people come and help him. Okay, but Mac, that's like literally every classic Who cliffhanger. I know, but I just I just love that the Master is so confident that he's got the Doctor here. And then he's like, oh, right, right, calling for help. I forgot he could do that. <laughs> Listen, guys, I'm just glad that we're back to cliffhangers. And not to, Bobby, I haven't seen this yet. We're back away from this Doctor's penchant for just cutting off in the middle of a moment. Yeah. Oof. I mean, one of my notes at the end of this episode was, oh, it just ended quick. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's been doing that the whole time, and it's a lot better in this story than it okay. has been previously. <laughs> I mean, like, everything, uh, everything Doctor and Master is like, yeah, there was a good scene. I enjoyed it. There was a scene in this episode that actually fucking terrified me. Because they have one of the daffodils... And they're trying to figure out what exactly is oh, its yeah. what exactly is its deal. What exactly is the master going to be doing uh, with it? And like it's, they figure out that it's like looking for a face. Like it's looking to try and recognize a face. And it's like moving around the room, and then sees sees Joe, and she's like looking at it mm -hmm. curiously, and it like sprays in her face and it like solidifies into a plastic mask that like it goes over her nose and mouth and is like suffocating her that's honest to god nightmare fuel for me <laughs> yeah that it's pretty fucked up and it's honestly the most effective thing that the master does like it was like oh that's <laughs> that would kill legitimately so many people yeah i was i was just like honestly scared while i was watching i was like oh my god that is yeah that is a nightmare <laughs> yeah it's like legitimately it's like that's so fucked up uh also were the 70s a time where like people were really excited about plastic flowers like because like i mean it's like it's it's the auton so like of course it's gonna be like very like the plastic heavy like that's gonna be a big part of it but it was just like People are really excited about those flowers. I don't know. I don't know either. I feel like it's just like something specific for the show. So it's a made up product that everyone in the show is really excited about. Yeah, true. <laughs> just like that doll that... It, were there ever any other ones of the doll or was it just the prototype? I hope not. I really hope there's no more fucking demon dolls. I mean, like in the show, I'm pretty sure he just made the one. I don't think... Okay. I think that was supposed to be like... The prototype that he wanted Mr. Farrell to take home to, like... Got it. That would make sense. Now, this mask thing does actually scare me. However, it's revealed that the uh, flower actually has gone off for a couple of people prematurely. People have been found suffocated, but there's been no mask over them. Mm -hmm. um, and they find out that it's because the mask actually dissolves through carbon dioxide. Yeah, there's there's the evil that I've been waiting for with the master. But also, if it dissolves through carbon dioxide, doesn't that mean it would dissolve before it gets a chance to suffocate people? 
Maybe it takes a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It's like it's like one of those. There's like it's alien technology. Don't think about it too much. I also just really appreciate the fact that uh, since it this is the era we're in, so cliches are still being established. So the villain coming in and holding the hero at gunpoint and then just going on a monologue about his evil plan hasn't really become a cliche yet. So, yes, please allow me to pull up a chair and cross my legs. Master, tell me more about the details of your fiendish plan. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty much that. And then again, I, I, love, love, I love the Master. He's dumb, but he's really cool. Because Joe blurts out what the plan is, he takes the Doctor and Joe hostage with, like, he's planning on killing them, finds out what the plan is, decides not to kill them, and, like, drives them out to where Unit is about to do a missile strike, takes the Doctor and Joe outside of his car with where the missile is going to strike, basically (laughs) waves at at the Unit guys with binoculars, and they're like, God fucking damn it. Abort mission, abort the strike. <laughs> yeah. Also, so in the in the last one, uh, did the Autons talk? No. Well, Cause, okay, because they sounded like Daleks here. They could cre- recreate people, and they were like replace Got replacing it. humans with Auton duplicates, and those oh, could God. talk. Mac, I know you're gonna know what this is, Caleb. You won't for a while. Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that's just, basically uh, it. That's that's. I that's forgot it. that that was a thing that autons are able to do. Yeah, and then I love it. So the doctor and Joe are handcuffed and thrown to the in the bottom of this van that they're being held in. Um, but they know the unit is still watching them. So the doctor like reaches over with his foot and like keeps tapping on the brake and like <laughs> does a Morse code to the unit soldiers who are watching and like he basically does just like this really long hello brigadier how are you i am fine i am at the i am currently in this van right now with joe don't worry she is also fine anyway like it's like a really long fucking message i'm like yeah can you believe that joe is in here with me <laughs> Ugh, so annoying right so annoying send, send yeah do you like joe yes no maybe she does have very nice jackets, though. I really like her jacket. I think it's leather, but I'm not sure. <laughs> you don't think it's plastic, do you? It couldn't be an Auton, right? That'd be fucked up. <laughs> and just, like, he gives this really long message through Morse code <laughs> without the master ever even fucking noticing. Yeah, honestly. But then Joe just, like, gets out of the... <laughs> Handcuffs. Yeah, she she just gets out of the handcuffs and, and then pretends that she's still handcuffed and then just like starts working on the doctors. That's why that's why I uh, kind of equate her to like totally spies. Yeah, totally spies. Which just like she's an airhead, but also she is she's a savant. <laughs> that's how I like to describe savant. You know what? Good for her. It was just like, well, thank God someone got out of this. <laughs> I hate Joe. <laughs> I know you do. Joe ruined the one plan I agreed with with the brigadier. When the doctor is like, how are we going to foil the master's plans? And the brigadier is like, I'm just going to bomb the shit out of it and call it a day. I'm like, genius. <laughs> <laughs> the master will never see it coming. Then they head back to the tower. Uh, they head back to the tower. And I love how the master has been trying to be like 
subtle with his plans of like controlling people or using half-baked schemes to try and kill people in roundabout ways uh just fucking done with that and when someone is in his on his way was it's like in his way while he's up the tower he just fucking pushes him off <laughs> like, you, i was bitch. like we didn't I, it might be before the wilhelm scream but i was expecting a wilhelm scream there <laughs> i really cannot get over the way the doctor talks the master down like i can't i can't what doesn't he basically say that once you are able to establish this foothold for the nesting, they will have no more use for you. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, good point, and then just turns the machines off. Yeah, it's it's pretty quick heel turn. Yeah, but I mean, like, it is one of those things where it's like, you dumb idiot. Why would they keep working with you? Like, why did you do this? Oh, Yeah. Uh, didn't get to that step of the plan yet. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't think I would get this far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, I feel like it would be slightly less jarring if the episode actually wasn't over like three minutes later. Yeah, because they have to like do a thing to get the the thing, and the and the third doctor says the thing, and I screamed because I got really excited. He said reverse the polarity, and I was like, ah, that, said that it. is yeah. Like, has that been said up to this I point? I think this might be the first time that the do- third doctor says reverse the polarity. So it beca- it became like proto meme of um, the third doctor says a line. It's probably going to be in, a, in episodes coming up where he says to that he reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. Fun fact, that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Neutrons don't have polarity. It's There's like nothing such to reverse it. Techno babble. I love it. Like so. Wait, you're just saying the doctor just said a bunch of nonsense. What? What? It's so out of character. I did go full uh, Lucille Bluth when Jean Parmesan shows up when he said that. I was like, ah, oh, he got me. <laughs> it's just. I was just like, ah, oh, fine. That's like the first time I've heard the third doctor like actually say that in an episode. I was like. Nice. That's cool. And then the episode ends. <laughs> well, on, there is one one really cool thing. They do end up stopping the nesting from being able to land, and they cut off the, the signal, so all of the autons lose the signal and they drop. But then, like, the master tries to get away, and the unit is shooting at him, and uh, he ducks behind his, uh, his van, and the doctor's like, uh, something's up. This isn't good. And then uh, the master just, like, comes out of his van and like has his hands up and is walking towards the unit soldiers and the doctor's like um something's definitely up this definitely isn't good then the master like tries to fire at them but they shoot at him first and they go over to investigate his body and i thought when he first came out of the van i was like that's like an auton or a robot or something like that yeah no it's feral jr with a master mask on and he just made him go out there and i was like holy shit that's yeah, so that's, fucking intense <laughs> it also infinitely hilarious that the master apparently just has a mask of his own face on him at any given point just in case you never know when you might need it <laughs> that's so in character though. <laughs> yeah and then the doctor's like yep and the master also has a busted tardis which means we had not heard the last of him credits roll mm-hmm I do think it it was a missed opportunity to not see the inside of the Master's TARDIS. Because, mm. like, there's that scene where Doctor, like, or the Doctor goes in to get that circuit from it. And I was like, 
oh, like, I was like, oh, that's cool. Are we going to be able to see the inside? Nope. Just they, like, oh, okay. They had trashed the TARDIS console at this that point. Makes so they they so very much well could have just like not finished a new TARDIS set yet, or m- might not even have started working on one yet. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, trivia. Again, there's so many fucking parallels here. This is the first episode since Tomb of the Cybermen that drew in more viewers with each passing episode. Weird parallel. It's fucking weird. Uh, so producer Barry Letts was granted was granted in his contract one story per season that he was allowed to direct, which was technically against the rules. Mm-hmm. People weren't allowed to like produce and direct their own shit. Yeah, it's like a BBC guideline or something. Yeah. So one of the concessions he had to make in order to be able to do this was to receive no on-screen credit for directing it, which is why there is no director in the credits of this episode. It's a weird fucking loophole. In the scene where the troll doll attacks Joe, uh, Barry Letts had intended to film a shot of the doll running across the workbench and then jumping at her. But Tommy Reynolds, uh, the actor who was in the suit, passed out. Due to the intense heat of being in the costume and under the lights. So the idea was scrapped. They were actually heating him up. <laughs> they they actually just set him in the suit actually on top of a radiator. <laughs> it was a problem. It's called Method, Tommy. Now put the mask back on. <laughs> the location filming was done before the studio scenes. So uh, one of the first scenes that Katie Manning filmed was when the doctor and Joe escaped from the um, Auton policeman Manning tripped and sprained her ankle and the production assistant, Nicholas John joked that oh, the producer is going to have to uh, replace her. going to have to find a new Joe. And she took it seriously and didn't realize that he was joking and uh, panicked and begged uh, that to not be fired and was like crying that she was about to lose her job and John Pertwee fucking went off on the production assistant for yelling at, for upsetting his co-star. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. I like, I, I get a good vibe from John Pertwee. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. Apparently Barry Letts received many, many letters of complaint from Scotland Yard about the portrayals of the police in this episode. Okay, <laughs> fucked. <laughs> Which is weird because the police are never shown in a positive light in Doctor Who. Yeah, they really aren't, actually, you know? Never. Never, ever has a really good cup in this show. Nope, not once. Um, That's all I have for trivia. Final thoughts. What do you think, gentlemen? I think it's pretty good. I think it's actually... I think it is the strongest Third Doctor episode. The pacing is good. Uh, I think the cutoffs for the end of the episodes are significantly better. Um, And it's largely silly in a good way, and not silly in a bad way. Minus a few specific instances of being bad. (laughs) Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Like, I think for the most part, with uh, <laughs> one or two glaring exceptions, it was good. I think it was well-written. Uh, it was a good introduction to Joe, whether or not Caleb thinks so or not. <laughs> and yeah, I, like, I, it, it, it felt very different from the previous stories in, in a good way. Like, it, it definitely, like, this was, like, from Tomb of the Cybermen to here, there's definitely uh, a better budget. There's definitely color film, just like a lot of things in general. It's like, yeah, this is, I, I enjoyed it. And this episode doubled down on what I like about the third Doctor overall, is it, it's really adding to this kind of like overarching narrative that's going on. Yeah, um, yeah. They, they, 
I mean, I don't think in um, the previous two Doctors, they ever really, like, told a longer ongoing story than, like, just the different serials. Not really. It's still serialized, obviously, but, like, with each story, the Doctor gets a little farther with his main plan, which is fixing the TARDIS and getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. But now there's this additional layer of more Time Lord meddling, and I'm assuming the Master is going to come back a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, I, I would also agree. I think this was a good introduction to the master. I like I like him because he's menacing and always comes up with creative plans, even if they're just way too fucking convoluted, and that's part of his appeal. I also really liked the introduction of Joe. Fuck off, Caleb. I look forward to seeing more of her. And the daffodil spray scene actually like shook me to my core, because like suffocation is like a big fucking fear of mine. So any any episode that can get that sort of reaction from me is tops in my book. Yeah, I have very few complaints about this episode except maybe the crunchy green screen, but honestly that's a feature not a bug. So it's kind of hard <laughs> <laughs> kind of hard to complain about that. I imagine that like that that was probably pretty early green screen in general. Mm-hmm. I mean for what it was, I mean they didn't have anything more than a static image which was silly, but yeah. yeah. And it I it was charming. Yeah, I think charming is a good way to say it. So Bob, mm-hmm. I know that you've got to leave because a peop- bunch of people that you just met have decided to worship you as a god and appointed you their leader, but... Yeah, and that panda's still out there. That panda's still out there, man. <laughs> Justice for hi-fi. I need more hi-fi. I know. More <laughs> hi-fi. I want hi-fi to just be found on the TARDIS. <laughs> but yeah, before before you go and be a, a god king to these people, go ahead and... Uh, Sign yourself out. Yeah, so uh, yeah, thank you again for having me. This is really fun. And uh, it took a minute to get scheduled, but hey, we managed it, and it worked out. But um, yeah, uh, so you can find me. Uh, I, I have a podcast called Not Even Once with my friend Seth, uh, who guested on the Tomb of the Cybermen episode. Um, we recap Once Upon a Time, which is similar in a lot of ways to Doctor Who and absolutely so different in a ton of other ways uh but yeah it's a very silly show you know we have fun and uh yeah thank you again for having me you can follow me on twitter uh, at the kid ain't right but i mean twitter's fucking blowing up anyway so it's who... a fucking disaster right now holy shit it is like did you know that you can pay four dollars to ask elon musk a question on twitter fascinating <laughs> and i'm just like mac i bet you're happy you're not on there anymore I, my life is like demonstrably improved after i stopped going on twitter and let me tell you <laughs> good for you i'm i'm so happy for you genuinely <laughs> but yeah that thanks again for having me yeah well that's it for this episode guys thanks for listening if you like this podcast the best thing you can do is give it five stars and tell your friends about it you can find us on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify you know all the major podcast things if you want to follow us you can follow us on twitter at quicktripdw you can also follow me there at Celebrity Writer. And be sure to check out Mac's YouTube channel, Mac the Ma, where he does insightful videos about video games. And join us next time on a quick trip through space and time in which we watch Katie Manning's favorite episode in The Mind of Evil. If it's the favorite episode, it's going to be the worst episode of the season. There, there is a 50-50 shot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, there's a 50-50 shot the episode of Classic who's going to be the blank of blank. Also true. Also <laughs> true.